Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me five things from their life that they would choose to put into a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish, but they also pick one thing that they'd rather get rid of, something they want to banish from their life by burying it in the ground and never thinking of it again. My very special guest in this episode is one of the most successful British athletes of all time, Linford Christie, our best ever sprinter, who was the first European athlete to break the 10-second barrier in the 100 metres, and the winner of the BBC Sports Personality in 1993. He was gold medalist at the Commonwealth, European, World and Olympic Games. All these titles he held at the same time. He won three gold medals at the European Indoor Championships, the European Championships, the Commonwealth Games and is still the British record holder for the 100 metres. In 2010, he was inducted into the England Athletics Hall of Fame. He was appointed MBE in 1990 and OBE in 1998. In 1993, the West London Stadium, where he spent much of his time training, was renamed the Linford Christie Stadium in his honour. And talking of honours, what an honour it is to find out what one of my absolute heroes would like to put in his time capsule. Here's Linford Christie. Morning, 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 morning. How are you? Right. I am great, mate. How are you doing? I'm great. It's great to see you. You know, we have met once before, very briefly. Uh, do you remember a thing called Smile Jamaica? Do you remember a, a charity thing? Yes, I can. I think I briefly remember it's a long, 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 long time. It's a long. Well, everything's a long time ago. <laughs> it's lovely to see you, though. It was a weird gig because we put it together very last minute because it was a charity thing, like you do with these things. Oh. The thing was on air, 
and we didn't know if you two were going to turn up or not. <laughs> <laughs> and then halfway through the gig, somebody said, they're here, they're here. And we had to completely rejig the running order and they went on at the end. It was brilliant. It's always like that, you know, last, it's always the last minute thing. But I think that adds to, you know, I mean, I think sometimes people, they do that on purpose because, you know, it adds to it. If you're early on time as a group or an entertainer, yeah. then it means you're desperate. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Linford, it's really lovely of you to do this for me. It'll be a thrill, I think, for everybody to have you on the podcast. Uh, I've spoken to lots of actors and comedians, but the only other athlete, actually, I've spoken to is the lovely Ailey Doyle, who I'm a big fan of. Oh, okay. And she's such a sweet woman. She's great. But for me, I have to confess now that I am an enormous athletics fan and have been all my life. It's the one sport that I really do follow. So uh, I'll say it right up front to have in front of me the man that I think is possibly the greatest British athlete of all time is a real thrill. It looks anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the best looking. You win that one every time, yeah. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to go through your life and you're going to pick out four things that you treasure and one thing that you'd like to put in there and just say, oh, good, I'm glad I can forget about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the first thing that stands out to me, I mean, is when I first won the European Indoors. Right. That for me is the best thing ever because, you know, that changed my whole career. Mm. That changed my entire, I suppose, my life. Yeah. It put me on the right road because up until then I was just, every now and again I was reserved for the team or I was left off the team or whatever, you know. And so winning the European indoors, especially being the first Brit to win it, mm. gave me that extra bit of confidence that, you know, everything is possible. Do you have to, in a way, have those things so you start seeing yourself as someone, hang on, I, I think I could beat almost anybody? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, you've got you to think that you could be. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to think that. But, you know, I think when, you know, something's been around for a long time and you become the first, I think that adds that little bit extra, I mean, I don't want to say zest or whatever, belief, because, you know, you've got to believe that you can be the best there is, but... It's got to be in reality. Mm. And once reality starts setting, once you win something and then you think, oh God, you know, I, I, this is what I did. And for me, it was just such a, a big thing because I think maybe a couple of years earlier, mm. I went to the world indoors and I got knocked out first round. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and so that was, you yeah. know, a bit devastating for me. And also, I mean, I wasn't even the favorite to win the European indoors. So I was, I think I got on the team as a, as a reserve because someone else dropped out. Mm. So, you know, that for me. And then plus I had to, I borrowed a pair of spikes <laughs> from wow. one of my teammates, Brian Whittle, you know, he had the latest Puma spikes and everything else, you know, and I borrowed it from him and to win in a pair of borrowed spikes. That, <laughs> <you know. laughs> That's like a batsman borrowing a bat. Well, I mean, I, hopefully if you score, if you saw some good runs and you score a hundred in it, then you can keep it. Yeah, I <laughs> no, but I gave it back. Oh, you gave them back? I would have said, can yes, I keep I these? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody always says that you didn't really, in a way, take athletics seriously until you were, well, 18, 19, that sort of age. Well, I mean, even later than that. Really? I didn't start training until I was maybe 24, 25, maybe. Right. Uh, and I was, I mean, I, during my youth, I, you know, I was in the cadets, you know, I joined all these different clubs and everything and because I, you know, just for something to do. Mm. And it was just that my parents encouraged me to, I wanted to go in the RAF originally, you know, so I joined the air cadets to see, you know, how things were. And then my mom said, no way are you going to go into the RAF. They, they'll send you to war and I'm going to lose my son. <laughs> she may well have been right. Yeah, yeah she, may, she would have been right. And so, 
you know, from there, then, you know, I used to go to the track and I used to just do the bit of training when I felt like doing it. But right. most of the time I'd just hang out with my friends and everything else. And we'd play dominoes and we would just sit in the cafe and just chat. Yeah. Most of the guys, the top guys, I'd beat them every now and again, but I wasn't beating them consistently. No. So then my coach sent me a letter. Is that Ron? Ron, yeah. Ron Rodden sent me a letter along with Andy Norman, God mm. rest his soul, who was the promotions officer of the sports. Yeah. And it virtually said the same thing. If you change your lifestyle a little bit and dedicate yourself to the sport, you could be really good. Uh, so, you know, that for me changed a lot. And mm. then again, you know, my grandmother was my hero. We had a little chat about it and she said, well, if you try and you fail, yeah. then at least you tried, but you never want to go through life saying, if only, Yeah, you know, and she said, there's too many people that do that. They say, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done that. She said, if you try and it works, that's great. If it doesn't, then at least you've tried. And so extraordinary person, your grandmother, didn't she bring you up for the first few years of your life? Definitely did. Yeah. Oh, I love my grandmother. She was for me the greatest person ever. You know, and the thing is like, cause my parents came to England. Yeah. I was in Jamaica cause they came, they came to work. And they left their children behind. Yes. I mean, it's a normal thing, you know, back then in the Caribbean, you know, mm-hmm. you leave, you know, leave everyone, leave the kids with the grandparents and then you go to work. And so, yeah, I mean, I was there with my Gosh, there were cousins, side cousins, and even people that you didn't even know. Everyone lived in our in our house, mm. in the yard. And, you know, for me, it was a great sort of like relationship we had. And everyone there, we just grew up very close. It was all like we were all brothers and sisters, even though, you know, some of us were just cousins. Yeah. How old were you when you actually went to England then? I came to England when I was seven years old, seven, mm-hmm. eight years old. And it was a shock. Yeah, that must have been a shock. Not only, you know, everybody who says, oh, well, it's cold and what have you, but you couldn't really have known your parents at all. Well, no, I mean, my dad, uh, you know, my dad came, I think, the same year I was, you know, because I think I came to England in September. Right. I think my dad most probably came down in April or May. Right. And, you know, I suppose he came to prepare, you know, get our tickets, mm-hmm. you know, do all the, the bits and prepare us for it. So I came up with my oldest sister. Right. And yeah, I mean, it was a shock because, you know, I was leaving granny behind and going to a place which, you know, I didn't know. And, you know, got on the BOAC plane. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so suddenly there you are, a Londoner. Yes, I became a Londoner. The streets of London were paved with gold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, far from it, you know. And the thing is, like, you know, I mean, you know, and the, the worst thing is because I came up in the summertime, mm. you know, September, so it was nice and warm and everything else. And when it got to winter, <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine you poor little mite, honestly. Oh, I was, I was suffering. I'm not going to, I was suffering. So then what, you just start running at school and uh, as kids did and people went, God, you're fast. Well, I went to a primary school in White City called Canberra Primary School. Mm. And there was a teacher there, Mr. Wright. He was an art teacher. And we had, you know, we had a, like a track painted on the, the asphalt in the playground and everything else like that. But I was playing football one day and I ran across the playground for the football. Right. And he was looking out his window, I suppose, you know, watching the kids and everything else. And he came down and he said, you look very fast. I think you should try out for the school team. Mm. I mean, I didn't even know, you know, what the school team, what it was all about and everything else like that. And so then we had a, like, you know, the track was painted on in the playground. It was like, I don't even know, maybe it could be 60 meters. I mean, mm. in those days, it looked like it was a big <laughs> track. So I had to have a runoff against a guy called Perry Stevenson, who was really fast. And I won. 
And so that was the start of my career because then we had our sports day in the White City Stadium, which was on the back of the school. So we'd open the gate and we'd cross over the road and we was in White City Stadium. Wow, how amazing. That was virtually the start of my career, but I think I got what. (laughs) 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 And even in those days, I wasn't even the fastest in school. We had girls in the school. I mean, the girls in the school were the quickest. They would be bigger, wouldn't they? Oh, yeah, they were way bigger. We had a couple of girls in our school that was, you know, oh, they were fast. They were really, really fast. (laughs) But it's like you say, those firsts, the first time in sort of going, those things that I thought I might be able to do, suddenly it looks as if I can do it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, and your career is absolutely littered with firsts. I mean, you're the first European runner to go under 10 seconds, weren't you? I was indeed. It's an amazing thing. I mean, I say it as <laughs> if, oh, well, there you are. You just went under 10 seconds. But there are there are actually so few people in history who've ever run that fast. And to do it, now, look, I'm going to, I'm going to quote statistics at you. You did it nine times, according to Wikipedia, nine times in your entire career you went under 10 seconds to show how difficult it is to do it. And actually, you once did it and came fourth. Oh, I ran. I mean, I remember that so, like it was yesterday. Really? <laughs> I went to the European Championships in Tokyo. Yeah. And yeah, I came fourth. It was a new uh, British and European record. Oh, God. And, you know, could you imagine, you know... You must stare at the time. You must stand on the track and stare up at the time and go, <laughs> what? It was the fourth fastest time ever. Wow. And nothing to show for it. You know, so that was, you know, I thought for me, never in my wildest dream did I ever think I was ever going to run that fast. And so I thought, well, if I can only finish fourth in 991 or 992, I think it was, then maybe I should retire. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I was 31 years old. And, you know, I've been told I was too old every day of my life almost, you know, so therefore, (laughs) maybe. Of course, you don't really start properly until you're 24. So actually 31, you've had a seven-year career, really, at that point. Indeed. And the the strange thing is, I mean, they judged you at the time on the Americans, because normally, you know, Americans retire maybe 24, 25, because once they got out of university, there wasn't really anything for them mm. to continue. So most of the, you know, the guys, they ran, they ran in college or university, and then after that, they retired. So I think people was just judging me on them. Mm. If they retired 24, 25, then maybe 20, you know, I was old. So you're standing on the track, 1991, looking up at the score, thinking, I go my fastest ever, and I come fourth. What's the point? And that's a year before Barcelona. Definitely. That was the year before Barcelona. I mean, you know, the thing is like, I said to my coach, you know, let's pack it up. This is it. (laughs) And there's always this thing. People always say, oh, crowd advantage and everything else. But, you know, the British public, they, oh, I got letters, you know, we need you to, you know, just go one more year, one more year, just Barcelona. We bought tickets for Barcelona. (laughs) We're hoping to see you run there, go to Barcelona. And then after that, if you want to retire, you go. And so, you know, my coach and I, we, we, we sat down and talked about, you know, what we can improve on and where, you know, we watched the race and see where things, you know, could get better. Mm. We went away to Australia that year and we worked on things. And It's still an amazing thing that though, isn't it? You run the fastest you've ever run. And in order to actually win something, you go, okay, well, that's the fastest I've ever run in my entire career, my entire life. And I now have to think about how I can improve. And that's what it is. I mean, we always say, you know, you can't run faster than the personal best. And so before that, I mean, I think, gosh, my record was maybe nine, could be nine, nine, seven. I don't even know. It was, you know, just broke anyway, just broke 10 seconds. Yeah. And so you've got to think of how on earth you are going to get stronger 
faster. Mm. And of course, as the season go on, you never know. You've got to cope with maybe getting injured or everything else. I mean, there's just so many different things that yeah. you have to think about and that all has to be right for you to improve. And was there a mental side to it? Do you think that you went, I'm not going to suffer that again? Does that drive you on in that way, make you think, okay, that's not going to happen again? I'm definitely going to win next time. I mean, because now this is probably an illusion from my point of view, but because I'm a great athletics fan and and because I watched almost every race that you did, I remember, and my wife is the real aficionado. She really knows these things. And I remember watching you stand on the line in Barcelona and my wife said, he's going to win. Oh, thank her for the confidence. <laughs> she absolutely, she looked in your eyes, as it were, and you had that really steely determination, that almost a, a relaxation, the confidence of it. Well, you know, the, I tell you the, the strange thing is like, God bless your wife, because it's people like your wife and others who, I just don't think athletics is just something that you just get up and run. Mm. You know, you don't just get up and run. You know, you need, some of it is spiritual. You know, I've got to say that. And, you yeah. know, when you've got people at home, or around the world supporting you. And, you know, they, they are giving you energy. You know, we, we don't, you know, we say, you know, karma and everything else. So there's got to be something spiritual in the universe. Mm. And so therefore, you know, when people supporting you and people willing you on to win, that is how you win. Yeah. You know, because you, you have that extra energy. And I think that's what, for me, when I was out there, all those people cheering me. And then also on top of that, you, you need to have the right mental attitude. And for me, confidence was, is the biggest thing in our game. Yeah. And so I was very confident. I came, you know, I come from a very confident family because my dad was a very confident person, my grandmother, you know, and so you've got to believe in yourself. And if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I always said it wasn't that I was the fastest. I just made everyone else believe I was. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, let's put that first thing in then. Let's put you winning the gold medal at the European Indoors. Fantastic. Okay, that's the first thing. So let's move on to number two. So number two, I mean, again, I, you know, I would love to keep all my medals mm -hmm. for, I suppose, my kids and the next generation. Yeah. Because to be honest, I mean, you know, um, you know, not to be overconfident about myself, but I don't think the way the climates are and the amount of sprinters that, you know, around the world, I've won all four at the same time. You know, I, was, I held all four titles. And I, I don't think it would be anytime soon when we're going to have a sprinter that's going to do that. Mm. So I would like to keep my medals there so that people can come along and see this is the last person, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> to have won all four titles. All in the same year, Linford, isn't it? You held the Worlds, the Olympic, the European. the European and the Commonwealth all at the same time. All at the same time. Amazing. So, yes, I, I would like to put that in there because... For me, I mean, it wasn't even something that I thought about as an achievement. No. It's all the stats and the media people who tell you these things. And so you <laughs> see, oh, this is what I did. And so the guys are out there running now and they, you know, it's, it's tough. Mm. If we win one medal in the sprints, that is a great achievement in itself. Mm -hmm. And so therefore for me to have all of them, you know, I like to put that away. So the next generation or whoever can come along and see and realize that. Uh, yeah, admire it and also realize that it's possible. It's all possible. All things are possible if you believe. And that, mm. that's what it's all about. It's an extraordinary achievement. So <laughs> I'm, I'm Mr. Stats today. I'm, normally, I don't know anything about anything. But, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm so interested in it. I looked at it and read it all up and I've remembered it. It says 24, 24 major medals that you won throughout your career. 
That's an enormous number of medals. And when you see people receive a medal, for example, you see footballers receive a medal, they've come second. So in, in a way, they've lost, but they've come second. I can sort of understand it when they, they take the medal off around their neck and they don't seem to have much regard for, for only coming second in the Champions League because they don't see it that way, do they? But in athletics, the achievement of coming second and third and even seventh sometimes, you see the pride on people's faces when they do it. Well, you know, the thing is they say, you know, the worst place to finish is fourth. <laughs> but I think the worst place to finish is last. <laughs> or not even to have made the team at all. You know, that's uh, to me. And, you know, I'm also on the thing that second is the first loser. Mm-hmm. But again, you can only say that when you've won. It's sort of like going through and learning your apprenticeship. You go through different stages. You get to the semifinals and you get to the final and then you start winning medals. And so to me, you know, nothing but first means anything to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I ran a race once and I got beaten and I sat in the corner and I cried like a baby. <laughs> and I said, never again will this happen to me, you know? And so, you know, I went away and this is part of the process in the early days when I decided, right, I'm going to train. I'm going to put everything into it. If you're going to do something, then you've got to give it 100%. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, so that was for me. I, you know, I, I cried because losing is not, it's not a thing. And, you know, and it's a good thing because if you hate losing, then you will do your darndest to make sure it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, absolutely. You see people drive themselves on who are doing extraordinary things. I mean, as you say, just to make the team, it's fairly impressive to get into the semi final. For a lot of athletes, that will be the pinnacle of their career. Well, it is. But you see, the problem is, you know, sometimes also you've got to lose in order to appreciate what it's like to win. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're winning all the time, it becomes boring. And so therefore, every now and again, when you lose, that's your reality check. That will tell you, first of all, you can't become too complacent about things and you can't sit on your laurels. You've got to keep working. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they say once you're at the top, the only way you can go is the bottom. But you've got to try and stay there. You've got to try and stay rather than, you know, go down to the bottom. You've got to try and stay at the top as long as possible. And that's what it's all about. You know, you've got to lose to appreciate winning and to make you realize, yeah, maybe, you know, train like a contender, never like a champion. Right. Champions are where to go. (laughs) Very good. You never know at the time also. I mean, you are making history when you do those things. You are the first. You are the best at that time. And you don't know what's coming. So, for example, the next week somebody might run faster than you, or as is the case, no British athlete has ever run faster than you. Still. Well, you know... (laughs) It's, it's true. I mean, I'm still British record, although, which, yeah. you know, I've been British record since 1986. It's amazing. It is amazing. I mean, but, you know, for me, although it is, you know, it's amazing, but at the same time, it's a little disappointing mm-hmm. because it means we haven't progressed. Yeah. You know, and I want someone to come along and break my British record and take the sport to another level. Mm-hmm. I mean, records are made to be broken. Yeah. Medals will stay with you forever. And so, you know, I've got medals. So, you know, I'm not one of these people who want to sit and be British record holder for the rest of my life because it means the sport is not progressing at all. Yeah. So I want someone to come along, break the record, you know, so it gives them a bit of confidence and the next generation to give them some inspiration to think, okay, it can be done. Yes. You know, but so far, like, you know, it's, it's been a long time. It's been a long time and it's too long. Mm. Did you anticipate someone like Usain Bolt coming along? Well, you've always got to <laughs> anticipate, you know, as being an athlete, you've got to, you know, the, the problem is I tell my guys I coach now all the time, every championships will on earth 
a champion. There'll be a star made from all these championships. Mm. And so therefore, you've got to be prepared and say, why can't it be you? You know? I think it's an amazing, an amazing thing to have held all those records at the same time. And I think you're right. I don't think that we look anywhere near having somebody do that again. And so it's enough to be the best, to have that record. You can always say, I was the record holder. I was the fastest in my time, I think. So the fact that you're looking for people to come along and you want people to come along and you want things to constantly improve, I think it's what all athletes do. The thing I admire about athletics the most and the reason I love going to athletics meets is because generally the crowd... They just want everybody to do their best. I remember being at the European Athletics in, strange enough, in Barcelona. And Mo Farah had been a good runner for a long time. And he suddenly made that step up. He won the European gold medal. And it had been something that we as a crowd had been waiting for for a long time. And if you know about athletics, it, it didn't matter which country he came from. The whole crowd were delighted that finally he'd made that step up and become the athlete we all thought he could be. And I, I love that about athletics. Well, I mean, you know, for me, that is one of the great things about that sport. And when I used to go to all these meetings and everything else, and one of the things that spurred me on, I just went into here, God save the queen. <laughs> you know, it wasn't happening. You know, the Americans running around with American flags, you know, running around. It was all just the American anthem that was playing all the time, all the time, all the time. Mm. And I was, you know, I would sit there with some of my teammates and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be just nice just to... Because I believe that the British supporters are the best supporters in the world. The Jamaicans are coming close now because they go everywhere and support, you know. But <laughs> the British supporters, they go everywhere. And, you know, I used to just say to my mates, you know, wouldn't it be just nice just to hear the British anthem mm-hmm. playing out there, you know? Imagine how the Queen would be at home smiling, thinking, yes, that's my boys. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my Queenie accent's not that great, but yeah, you know. <laughs> It was just, you know, God rest their soul too. Yeah, you know I mean, but you know, it would be just one of those things that I just wanted it to happen. I just wanted to hear the British anthem, God save the Queen, being played out there. And so when it started happening, you know, I always, you know, I think that the greatest achievement for me that I have ever done is when you stand on that podium. You stand on the podium and they are playing God save the Queen. Now, whether you like me or whether you don't like me or you like my country or hate my country, you stand up and you show that respect. Mm -hmm. And regardless of whatever you achieve, not many people, you can't get better than that. Not many people can achieve that regardless. You know, if I'm the greatest scientist in the world, they're not going to play in national. So you, of course, and a reaction People will smile, they'll cry, they'll do whatever it is. But that reaction in people, it's something that few people can cause. And that's, that's one of the, you know, the achievements, I believe, of standing on that podium. It's the greatest achievement because it's, it's a greater reaction and, than an achievement than all the medals you can win. And as you say, all those other people from all those other countries who are supporting their own athletes all stand and show their respect. They all stand and they show. And, you know, the, the other thing is like when I go out in the stadium, I mean, I always say the scariest thing in the world is to come out that call room and walk out into the arena because mm. you get out there and, you, and there's so many, the noise is great. So many people cheering for different, because, you know, with athletics, there's so many different events going on. Yeah. You know, people are cheering and doing all that kind of thing. And for me, I have to make believe that all the cheering they're cheering for 
is for me, you know, <laughs> because again, it's home crowd advantage. And so therefore you have to create when you're abroad and you're away, you have to create your own home crowd advantage, own crowd support. So, so that's what I do. I go out there and the only name I can hear people cheering for is me. They could be <laughs> cheering, what could they be cheering anyone, anyone else, you know, but <laughs> they are not on my radar. Everybody, you know, 100,000 people, 80,000 people, they're all cheering for one person. That's Limber Christie. Mm. And that is where I get my my home crowd advantage from and anything else that goes along with it. I really think you may have started that thing, you know, because it's quite common now to see people trying to do that. Uh, not always succeeding. Very few people do. But to try and do that thing, to be standing on the line there saying, this is mine, I own this. Well, you've got, you know, the thing is, it, and that is, that is part of the confidence. I mean, if you see now, you know, the way it's, it's changed a little bit because, you know, the Bolt is doing this lightning bolt, someone else is doing all that kind of thing. And, you know... It, my generation of athletes, we were just serious. Yeah. We weren't out there to play, you know. There was only one gold medal out there. And that's what you want. Yeah. You know, that's what we're all after. And so therefore, you know, we were serious. We folk, you know, they you, they throw the word around focus all the time. And that's what it was. You know, you have to focus, but at the same time, it's all about trying to intimidate your opponent without doing so. Mm-hmm. Without them, you know, realizing that you what you're doing, everything else, and it's just to stamp your authority and say, yes, this is mine. You know, yeah. Everyone else is, you know, you can worry about second. I don't need to know who's behind me, and that's what helps you win. Yeah, fantastic. All right, let's put those medals into the time capsule. Was the second thing then? Brilliant. Uh, so let's move on to number three, Linford. Okay, I'm afraid we have to interrupt this podcast for some adverts now, but coming soon, you'll have the chance to become an Acast Plus member. Ooh, exciting. And then you can listen to all the episodes without adverts. You don't have to. Of course, you can carry on just the same as ever. But we thought we'd offer you the opportunity. In the meantime, we'll be back very soon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Welcome back to part two of my time capsule with the athlete and coach Linford Christie, as Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse say so wonderfully on their fishing program, and away. My training diaries. <laughs> Again, <laughs> really? You know, as a coach now, you know, it is, it's, it's strange because every now and again, my athletes will say, why can't, you know, I tell them, first of all, training that I did, you're not ready for that as yet. And they always say, no, when can we do what you did? But the problem is I, I think that training and everything else is different. Technology is different. And the only way we knew it was to train hard. Mm. They say you train six days a week and rest one day. I train seven days a week. You know, when I listen to people like Daley Thompson and all the guys who are champions, they talk about training seven days a week. You get up on Christmas morning, you go for a run because you always got to try and feel that you have got a session ahead of your opponents. They're all sitting home eating Christmas pudding, you're out there training. Yeah. And these are all the things that, you you know, we do. And so therefore, I would like to throw my training diary out there and, or diaries, I should say. I mean, I've given a lot of them away too. Uh. And also, you know, the diaries of, for the athletes that I coach now in the present so they can see the difference and see what they, they need to do. Yes. You know, because, you know, training was tough. There's many times that, you know, I'm on the track crying and saying, dear God, please don't let me die. You know, because mm. you are in so much pain and everything else and it's there, you know, and you sleep in the snow. I mean, you know, my, my coach gave you a session and seriously, you, you lay in the snow and you fall asleep. <laughs> you get 15 minutes rest and I can sleep in that snow for 10 minutes because my body is in pain. Mm. And so a lot of people don't realize how hard we trained and everything else, you know? And so therefore, yes, I like to throw my diaries in there. So when they look back and they, you know, and that's why sometimes people think you're a Superman. We're not Superman. You know, we just knew what we had to do. And for us, it was a belief that we trained harder than the next guy. Mm. So when I see the training that everyone else is doing now, you know, I call it shortcut training because it's, it's not the same. It's not the same. And no, you know, if you look at big and strong, we were and everything, and this is sometimes when I look at the guys and I think, you know, I mean, although they're running faster, but when, you know, you, you look how big and, you know, we threw the weights around, we had the flu and we would get up and still go out there and train. And so therefore, you know, all this is in the diary. So all the determination and everything that we put in, I think they need to know. And it's not just the person, is it? Because as time goes by, people discover this is a faster track. If we make the track this way, then people just go faster. And, and so that doesn't necessarily mean that the people who are running the fastest now, if they'd run on the same track at the same time, if you could put those people together then, they may not have won. And that's definitely, and now they've got the shoes. I mean, everyone's buying these uh, shoes that they say, you know, I mean, they've got these shoes that everyone thinks is, it makes you faster. Mm. And the strange thing, all my athletes have got these shoes. <laughs> you know? And I am so fed up with telling them it's not the shoes, but it's the man in the shoes. Mm. But they got these shoes and they all got the shoes because there's this thing where the shoes are going to make you faster. But you know, you know that what it really is, is not having the Christmas pudding because ah. that's going to take that little tenth off. Sacrifice. Yeah. You have to sacrifice. You know, again, I, you know, I always, I'm quoting myself or with my athletes all the time, but Jesus wanted to go to the father. So he had to sacrifice. If we want to win, we have to sacrifice. If you don't sacrifice you're not going to achieve. And that's what it's all about. It's all about sacrifice, how much you're willing to give up for what you want to achieve. Mm. And so therefore, it's what I always tell them all the time. You have to sacrifice. So sacrifice doesn't mean you've got to give your life. <laughs> but, you know, we're over in uh, in Brunel at Knoxbridge. 
I've got athletes who live in North London, East London, Kent, and they, they have to be at training at nine o'clock in the morning. So they have to leave at maybe five, six o'clock to get across through the traffic to be a training on time. So that's a part of the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, people, they move away from home comfort to live close in a little one room so they can train. That's sacrifice. Yes. It's strange. And it's still a sport that can give people great rewards, but not many. Most people are doing it and will will be okay. They'll make a bit of money out of it. It's not the most rewarding financially of sports. I mean, it can be. We know that some people are making enormous mm. amounts of money. But I've always been amazed by the accessibility of, of athletes. I've never been to a meet where I haven't basically, I think a couple of times, travelled back on the bus with somebody standing there with a gold medal around their neck. <laughs> you know, and I think that's one, of, that's one of the great things about sport, you know, the accessibility. And, you know, I always think, you know, if you're a footballer and the fan comes along and, you, you know, they don't even see you sometimes, they get a little away from your car as you move along. But with track and field athletes, this is what makes us. And this is, you know, this is all a part of, I think the fame outweighs the fortune by a long way. And mm-hmm. of course it's great to have the fortune, but I, you know, for me, it's, I don't know if we want to have it any other way because, you know, especially if it means then we're going to lose the closeness to the fans because the fans are the people who make you who you are. Yeah. And the sport is changing somewhat in that way because you can't get down to people now to get autographs. You can't do this, you know, because now, it, you know, they're creating this, sort of like exclusivity away from the people. And that is something that, you know, I think we should never lose. No. Because without the fans and without the closeness of the fans, I mean, if you think sometimes, I mean, God, I'm 62 now and I've retired, God, many, and people will still see me and say, oh, are you still running? Are you still doing this? <laughs> and, you know, when parents are telling their kids, oh, this was, this was the guy that we used to support, you know, and this is because we're close. And it's that, this is what keeps your longevity. You know, you go on for years. And years and years and years because you're signing autograph of someone. You stand and you smile. It doesn't cost nothing to smile. And they will talk about that forever. And so they will tell their kids and their kids will tell their kids and they, you know, and it'll go, you know, it'll go on long after we've gone. And I think that is a part of the thing. This is the advantage I think we have over most sports is that we are close to the fans. We used to go around, you do your lap of honour and you used to, you know, you run around, you stick your hand out and everybody gives you I-5 and you walk around. <laughs> these are all the things that, if I don't miss anything from the sports, these are the things I miss. And I think that's what keeps us. That's what keeps us going, you know, way after we retire. Yeah, I mean, tickets are getting more expensive <laughs> than they used to be. <laughs> they are too that's why we you know sometimes the athletes that we don't even get free tickets anymore really? even people like myself you know we've we retired and we've done our service for the sports yeah but we still don't we don't get invited and if we want to go we have to buy tickets that's ridiculous i'm going to start a petition definitely <laughs> you know they forget i mean you know that's one of the thing also for our sport they forget you once you're gone and wisdom is at the feet of the old and they need to realize that mm-hmm We've got experience, you know, every now and again, they should bring one or two of us back so we can inspire the youngsters. You know, I'm the only athlete I, you know, last time I looked anyway, of my caliber, that's actually coaching, putting something back into the sport. 
you know, but like I say, you know, don't up on the age, but 62, it won't be around, it won't be around much longer. No, but then how old was Ron then, Rod Rodden? Oh, well, Ron is now, I know he's now 92. So he was 30 years older than you when you were 20s. He was, you know, he was of a certain age. Indeed. But you respected his opinion. He knew what he was talking about. Ah, you know, for me, I mean, one of the biggest things in sports is that you have to trust your coach. He could be telling you everything that is right, but if you don't trust and believe, it will never work part of the doing work but you have to have the confidence in the coach to trust and believe that what he's telling you is the right thing and i think that was my my thing i mean nowadays athletes they change coach every week you know every week they got a different coach i had the same coach Mm -hmm. all through my career and Mm -hmm. you know i've seen stats where it's proven that great champions have only ever had one or two coaches in their entire career right but now athletes it's like a transfer market it took me 10 years to make my first olympics Mm -hmm. i read Somewhere Bolt said it took him nine years to make his first Olympics. Some people quit and change coach after nine weeks. <laughs> oh, I know if you're going to achieve the you know, perseverance and patience. This is what you need to, in order to achieve anything. And my dad always told me, the patient man rides a donkey. <laughs> you know, that stuck with me. And when you go out there and you go, you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient with your technique. You've got to be patient with everything. And you've got to be patient. And again, with the faith and the confidence that your coach knows what he's talking about. Well, I'm sure those diaries are a testament to that. Indeed. So that's certainly something that uh, future generations would treasure, I think. So we'll put those in there. Thank you. Indeed. Okay, so we've got one you want to put in there and so you can forget it. Okay, so uh, uh, let's let's put the one I want to forget first of all. Okay, I mean, we kind of touched on it before, (laughs) but I just want to forget all the pain I went through in the train. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine it. I mean, all you have to have done is... Just run to the point of getting a stitch and then realise that you would do that every day and not just a stitch, absolute agony. And then you'd run again. I always think, yeah, you know, I say athletes, we're just, we're slightly touched. <laughs> we are touched. We, you know, we're on the spectrum of everything yeah. because we go training every day. You put your body through a great deal of pain. And then at times you think, God, I'm going to die on the track because you're so tired. And the next day you come back and do it again. <laughs> and the next day you come back and do it again. You know, it's seriously, you know, we, we must have something, you know, we've got that, you know, what they sort of the goldfish brain, mm-hmm. you know, where they swim around the bowl. Have I been here before? Have I been here before? And this is what it's like being an athlete. You train and you, you hurt. I mean, we have such high pain tolerance, some of us. And I mean, I, I, I'll give you a story where I was, I was out with my coach one day training. I was in Australia. And we was at a gym and I was doing an exercise called step-ups where I had a hundred kilos on my back and then yeah. you step up on a bench. Mm-hmm. So I got into the gym. They didn't have a bench. They only had a sort of like soft bench kind of thing. It was, you know, it wasn't hard. It was soft. And so when I put my foot on it to step up, my ankle twisted oh. and I started to fall and there was little tiny mats on the floor, which I was trying to land on. But you imagine, you know, I'm, I've got hundred kilos on my back yeah. and I'm falling over on the floor. So anyway, I landed on the floor and I had a click <gasps> and I looked around and there was people in the gym and bless Ron, he was trying to catch me. <laughs> I <was falling> <laughs> and I fell over. I got up, re-wrapped the weights, put it back on my shoulder and I got up, finished my reps, walked out the gym, doubled over. I was in so much pain. Wow. <laughs> You know, but we do stupid things like that mm-hmm. because I suppose sometimes it's, it's your pride and everything else. So this is this has been an athlete. It took me ages because, I mean, I, I went to all the physios out there and nobody could do anything for me at the time. You know, mm-hmm. I think I my sacroiliac was out and everything else like that. 
you know, my ex-boyfriend. But this is, as you say, this determination not to be defeated. Exactly. And I was taking painkillers to train. I got home and I was still out there training, trying to train. And mm. I would take, you know, painkillers. I would train. And when they wore off, I was in more pain, wow. you know, and it's stupid. It's like we're on a physio bed and the physio is massaging and he's pressing on something that he shouldn't be. But instead of staying something, you just stay there mm. and you hope that they'll move on, you know, but you're in pain. And this is, but you know, you think, okay, it's, it's for the good. We have the flu. We get up and still go out and train, you know, so we are touched. <laughs> we all know it's not good for you. So yes, I would like to put that in there and never see it again. I don't blame I, you. I don't blame I you. I miss competing, but I don't miss <laughs> <laughs> the pain I went through. Do you know, if you'd asked me to put money on it, I would have said, you would have said, I'd like to put two false starts in, please. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that's all a part of it, man, you know. I suppose it is. Yeah, it's all a part and parcel. I mean, when I did my full starts in Atlanta, you know, I did one. Mm. I didn't do the two. They, I did one. They, they, they gave me the other one. Yeah, so I think <laughs> if they looked at that now, they would have gone, no, that's, that's too close to being... If you were under 0.1, you reacted too early. Mm. And you were so close. It's to not that. even that that's the problem, you know. I mean, the thing is, like, we train higher, stronger, further, faster, whatever it is. And so, therefore, because we train... We have to train every aspect of the race. Mm. And, you know, I think someone just got up there, you know, some guy and said, okay, you can't move faster than this. It's never been tested. And so therefore, but, you know, if we are training all the time, we're trying to go higher, faster, further, then we're going to train that part of the race. Mm. And so are going to react quicker than some arbitrary figure that they put out there, you know? And so therefore, unfortunately, it's all we got. Because they say you move too soon after the gun, Mm. you know? And how could you? Once the gun is gone, it doesn't matter how fast you move after the gun. In a way, once the gun's gone, the race has started. I think that's where it should be. And I know that some people will try to anticipate it. That's life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you can anticipate, it's great. But they'll get caught out just as often as the people, more often, in fact. And I think it should be, you know, doesn't matter. Once the gun is gone, if you've moved, then the race starts and that's what it is. You, you, they can't say you move too soon after, mm. you know, and that's the word, it, after the gun. Yeah, you know, but again, you know, for sometimes it's not how fast you start; it's how fast you finish. You know, and I think that's a lot of people. There's too much emphasis sometimes on the start. Everyone's getting the start, the start, the start, mm-hmm. and it's not always the people start fast wins the race. No, so it's how fast you finish in the race that that's really matters. Yes. Well, you may not put it in there, but I'll put it in. I yeah, cried we, for you. We can put them together. <laughs> we can put them in there together. Okay. All right. You bury that. I'll bury this with it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's still both painful, <laughs> I bet, yeah. when, especially when it happens at the Olympics. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So, what's your last item, Linford? Well, my last item, I've got to say, has to be the World Championships. And the reason why I want to put this in there is because I've never been in a race where I never felt I could win. Even when I've lost, I always felt that it's not because people are better than me. It's just because on the day my best wasn't good enough. Right. And the World Championships in 1992 was, for me, the first time I had ever doubted myself Ah. that, you know, I thought I was going to lose. (laughs) Oh. So for the first time, you're standing on the line. That thing we talked about earlier, where you stand on the line and you look down there, you visualize it, and you know you're going to win. Well, yeah, but you see, the thing is, I hadn't even made it to the line yet. You know, I was I was in what we call the warm-up area. Right, yeah. They were running the heats and the semifinal, and the, the American guy, Andre Kaysen. Mm. And, you know, it just went through every time I ran a time, he ran a little bit quicker. Mm. And so I can hear, you know, he, he was on the track racing, running his semifinal. Uh. 
and he ran nine, I think nine, nine, two or nine, nine. Yeah. Nine, nine, two. I think he ran. Oh, right. And that was, you know, my personal best and also my European record. Mm. And, you know, there he goes and he runs this, <laughs> he runs this semi-final. Well, and sort of easily as well. Well, I assume so. I mean, I didn't see the race. I just, uh. I just heard the crowd roar and I just heard the announcement come over the tunnel and I looked at my coach and I said to him, you know, Ron, did you, did you hear that? And he goes, <laughs> and it's so like typical. And he goes, what the bloody hell are you worrying about? <laughs> he says, what's your best? I said, 992. And he goes, well, he's got bloody do it again. You know what it feels like. <laughs> he's just got to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> he was right. He was right. You know, but you see, for me, the first thing, I mean, seriously, I stood there and I went through, there was a lot of doubt in my mind because I thought, oof. I'm in trouble here, you know? And the thing is, just to show the importance of a coach, because I'd been with Ron at the time, mm. and had he not said to me, you know, what are you got to worry about? You know, you've done it before. He's got to do it again. Yeah. And because he had that much sort of like confidence in me, that gave me confidence in myself. Ah. And, you know, I went out and I won, you know. And do you think that you actually approached the line and you were relaxed as a result of it? Oh, Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, the thing is, by the time I got out there and I, you know, I had chats with Ron all through my warm-up and everything else, I got out there and I was back to my normal self. I was full of confidence mm. and I knew I was going to win it. Oh, how fantastic. So that happens in, in what, about an hour? Between the semi-final and the final, how long normally is there? Uh, I, it's between maybe an hour and, you know, sometimes it could be two hours, but, mm. you know, maximum two hours, but normally it's about an hour and a half because you've got to get time then depending on when you run because you've got to leave and then you've got to prepare yourself and then come back in. Did you ever talk to him about it? Did you ever speak to Andre about it? Because I wonder if during that hour he lost his confidence. Well, I, I think he had. <laughs> I think he had because he's, the problem is, you know, he was a very quick starter and everything else. And, you know, I think by the time we got on the line, he would have seen I was confident. <laughs> and I felt he panicked a little bit and... You know, I mean, my, the fact that, you know, I was bigger and stronger than he was, you know, but I felt he panicked a little bit. And I mean, I had my best start in the final mm. and he was starting really good through the other rounds. Yeah. But his start in the final wasn't as good. And so the moment that the gun's gone, a fraction of a second after that, his brain is saying, he's ahead of you. He, well, yes, he did. He, and, it, you know, the thing is, I think at 60 metres, he caught up to me. But then after that, you know, once you go through panic mode and everything else and you start to, you know, you come out of your zone, mm. then it's, it, it was all over, you know. And so for me, it was, it was a good day. And, you know, that, go in there because it's telling me the importance of a coach. Yeah. Or the fact that, you know, you don't doubt yourself. It's a wonderful thing to hear those extraordinary events from the perspective of the person who did it. Because for everybody else, if you'd said, what do you think Linford will pick to put in as his last item? I bet you the whole world would have said Barcelona. <laughs> no, Barcelona for me wasn't, you know, I mean, I knew I was going to win. Yeah. I was very confident at Barcelona. I knew that I was going to win that from after the first round. I think I, I felt confident enough that I was going to win. Yeah, you and my wife. Oh, there you go again. <laughs> thank you. So, you know, thank you very much. But, you know, for me, it wasn't it wasn't as tough as the World Championships. You know, the, Carl Lewis didn't make, he didn't make the team for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And Andre Kaysen didn't make the team for the Olympics. You know, and they were saying, oh, I only won because they weren't there and everything else. So, 
you know, it's one of these things where the, you know, the hotter the battle, the sweeter the victory. And that was, that was it for me. You know, I ran, you know, what is still my British record. And I just missed the world record by a fraction, mm. 986, and I ran 987. So for me, because it was that tough and because I went through all this doubt and emotion in, you know, in my head, for me, it means more than Barcelona. Mm. Well, they all mean a great deal to, well, to me and everybody else who saw you do it, Linford. It's a joy for me to talk to one of my great heroes. So thank you very much. Ah, you're blessed. Thank you very much. I'm honoured to talk to you. Bless you. Thank you. You're the first and most probably be the last podcast. I I never do podcasts and I get them all the time. I know. Your agent said, what the hell have you done? (laughs) He said, you've asked Linford and he said, yes. And I said, I don't know. I don't know. But I tell you, I can't believe how honoured I am. Uh, It's an honour for me too. Uh, Bless you, mate. Okay. All right. Keep well. God bless and say hi to the wife. God, she supported me. (laughs) I will do. (laughs) Thank you very much. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my wonderful guest, Linford Christie. Thank you for listening to this podcast. My son, John, the producer of My Time Capsule, and I put a lot of time into making this podcast, so we're always delighted when people listen, and we especially enjoy hearing from listeners on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, so feel free to follow us on that. It's very useful if you subscribe to this podcast as well. I know we put a lot of episodes out, but you can listen to them in your own time, and if you subscribe, then they will be waiting for you whenever you want. It's also very useful if you rate or even review this podcast so that others can use it as an indication that this podcast is worth listening to, which I hope you agree with. The theme tune that you can hear playing in the background was written by Past the Peas Music and is available to download or stream on Spotify, a name we're all used to using now, but, I mean, honestly, think about it. Spotify? Whoever came up with that as a name for a music streaming service? Ah, well... That's where it is if you want to listen, along with this podcast, of course. So thank you very much, Spotty. This was a cast-off production for Acast. Thanks for listening. Do tell your friends, especially if they live in the massive podcast world that is the US of A. As they say, if you can make it there, you're either American or you can afford an airline ticket. And to encourage any American listeners to get on board, as they say, but with a slightly better accent than that, here is my suggestion for everyone living stateside. Eat more Parmesan. Come on, let's make America great again. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.